three guys are over in Barcelona 125 years ago. They're sitting on a sidewalk in the dirt and they're making bricks. And you ask the first guy, what are you doing? He said, I'm making bricks. They asked the second guy, what are you doing? He said, we're building a wall and I get to make the bricks to build the wall. A lot more purpose in that. They asked the third guy, what are you doing? He said, we're building a cathedral to worship God. It will be called the Sagrada Familia. It's going to be the most incredible cathedral in the world. And I get to build the bricks to make the left wall of the cathedral. Who do you think is more excited about making bricks? The person who has this vivid, and the Sagrada Familia, if you've never been, go put it on your bucket list, go see it. It's incredible, unbelievable cathedral that they've been still building for 125 years. But because people have purpose of what they're building and they're excited about the vision of what they're building, they find meaning every single day. That's why you need a vivid vision for your company is it aligns people, it inspires people. It also has people say, you know what, that sounds like something I don't want to be a part of. Great, go work for some. Like Find the, out right now. Yeah, the government's always hiring. Go work for the government. Well, hey, everybody. Welcome. Uh, Andrew Smallwood here from the Second Nature team. Oh, we're going to get right to it. Uh, I'm going to introduce Mark and, and Cameron insufficiently here. I, I could take like 15 minutes to introduce them, but you'd rather listen. You saw all the promotion and everything else in advance. You're, you already know this. I don't, I don't have to say too much. And, and I teed it up a little bit earlier as well. But one thing I do want to call out, I want to give a special thank you to Mark Brower, not just because it's his birthday, not just because he's hosting Cameron Harold in his physical office here, not just because he so generously gave on a triple win live we had about a month ago talking about building a great investor experience. Mark is consistently looking for opportunities, I would say, to share, uh, to learn alongside other property managers and, and support uh, you know, other people in the industry. And, uh, and, and whether he's running long distances or uh, building an audience on Twitter or building his business and getting into the nitty gritty, I would say like Mark is somebody we recognize really brings a lot of passion to what he does, brings a lot of excellence. And I think Second Nature is very excited to get out of the way and have a property manager, uh, entrepreneur like yourselves uh, interviewing Cameron. And, and Mark, is, Mark has studied, he's read the books. I mean, he's prepared for this. And so we really just want to say thank you to Mark for putting in, uh, putting in some great preparation for what's going to be a great conversation. And with that, Laura, I think we can pin their video up here uh, and we'll have Mark share a little bit about his experience and, and why he's excited to interview Cameron and let them go. Hey, everybody. I am so, so excited to have Cameron Harold live in my office here. And I've been looking forward to this for Same. weeks. Thank you. Yeah. So excited to hear about your experience and everything you've learned and apply it to the property management industry. I'd like to start with a, a, a quick story that hopefully connects the audience with the message. I was um, about seven years ago, I was working until two in the morning, three times a week, and I had 180 doors under management, and I had a few helper staff, and I was absolutely soul-crushingly burning out, and I didn't realize it, and I didn't know what to do, and I felt like I was alone. I was an island, and I, I didn't know what to do. I, I thought, I came to a point where I thought, I'm either going to you know, have some health issue or I'm going to burn out and I'm going to throw in the towel, I'm going to sell. And worse, it was really defeating on my confidence because growing up, I always thought I was the smart kid in the class. I always thought I was so capable. Mm. And uh, and it, it's almost like that became my liability. And because I thought I should be able to solve all the problems. That's funny. 
And I'm I'm I've learned about myself. So I, I put out an ad. I'll have to explain why it's funny later. Okay. It doesn't sound funny when you're describing it. <laughs> I put out an ad and I found a guy. And I remember I was interviewing this guy's name's Rich. He's still with me. He later became my second in command, but I had no idea what that concept meant mm -hmm. at the time. And I remember in the interview with Rich, I got teary-eyed and I just looked at him and I said, I need some help. And graciously, he hired on and I had another leader in the company and my company had grown like this. Rich came on and we started growing like this. Yep. Pretty normal. Tell, tell us what I, what I was going through. What was that? Well, so as an entrepreneur, we only start a company for one of three reasons. We start a company to give us money, to give us free time, to be able to control our own time and to be able to kind of put a stake in the ground or a flag in the ground to say that we did it. We accomplished something. And at some point we have our company up and running. So we've accomplished it, right? We know that we're an entrepreneur. We know we're not working for anybody else. At some point we usually hit a, a ceiling or a, a satisfaction level on money where we're making enough money to maybe offset what we used to make as a job. And we're feeling good about where we are on the money side of things, but we often don't get ourselves more free time and a better life. Sometimes it's because we have lost track of our hobbies. We've lost track of our relationships. We've lost track of ourselves. And we end up pouring everything into the business and we get the dopamine rush from running our company every day, but we end up burning ourselves out. We end up burning out our adrenals. We end up just not having as much fun. And when we end up hiring a second command, regardless of what we call that person, it could be as, as small as an executive assistant, or if you're a one person company or two or three person company, just getting a bunch of the admin off your plate can free up your time to then have a better life. That new energy that you have, you start bringing that new energy and enthusiasm into the business, which fuels growth. When you can start delegating a bunch of stuff to an EA or a project manager or a director of operations or a VP of operations or a true COO, you can now up-level your, your business. They can start working on the business and you can work on the business. So you end up getting this multiplication, right? It's like one plus one equaling 11 instead of equaling three. And you can often start getting these people working on areas of the business that drain you. So you can get someone who maybe you're drained with IT or you're drained with finance, or you're drained with the day-to-day -day operations. Somebody else comes in and they love that so much that now you get to work on the areas that fuel you and feed you with energy and you're good at, and they get to work on all the stuff that drained you of energy and it fuels them up. Now you have two individuals that are excited and enthusiastic about the same work. So you're bringing all that new energy into the business, right? And the CEO's job is to be the chief energizing officer. So if you're coming in with negative energy and you're drained and you're not enjoying your life, then of course your business is going to flatline for a long time. So I think um, thoughts there. there's lots of thoughts. There's so many things I want to unpack there. One of the things that I'm resonating with immediately is in our industry, there's a lot of accounting. Mm. We're doing trust accounting. We're doing triple reconciliations required by the Department of Real Estate in Arizona and, and other states. And we're doing corporate accounting, a visionary sales-minded individual. I mean, if you ask me to do it, like, no thanks. Not only no thanks, not only will it zap my energy, but I'm going to mess it up. And it's just like absolutely soul crushing. Well, and here's why I was laughing when you were talking about some of your past and what got you to hire the second command. The reason I said it was funny was I was not the smart person in school. So I struggled in high school. I got into the only university that accepted me in Canada. And it was a very average university. And I graduated from that with probably a 2.3 GPA, 2.4 GPA. But I was on the university ski team. I was running my own company while I was in university. I had 12 full-time employees while I was in university for three years. I started a fraternity. I was president of a fraternity. 
Um, and then I had all this money from running my business. So I was dating like crazy. So I was too busy to, to study, but I also couldn't study in that environment. So one of the things I remember calling my dad up the night before an accounting exam. So you're talking about like how accounting drains you. And I said, yeah, I'm, I'm going to fail accounting. And he goes, well, why? Well, what were your midterms like? I said, my midterms sucked, but I did really well on all my assignments. He said, how come you've done really well on your assignments? I said, well, you had 12 assignments. I did very well on all those. And I almost failed the midterm. And he said, well, what do you need to pass? I said, I need 52% on the final to pass. And he said, why did you do so well on your assignments, but you didn't do well in the midterm? And I said, I hired somebody. <laughs> and so I was, I was running a bar on campus. And I, one of the guys in my class was really into accounting. I think he's probably a CDA today. Like he's probably an accountant. And so I paid him a case of beer every week to write my weekly accounting assignments for me. So of course I got like an A plus on every accounting assignment. Yes, I cheated in accounting. Um, and my dad said, well, you learned something. He said, what do you want to be when you grow up? Do you want to be an accountant? I'm like, no, like that would be the last thing I'd want to be. I want to be an entrepreneur. He said, what you just learned was how to hire your first accountant. So for me, the lesson at university in accounting was how to understand the basics and how to hire someone to do the stuff that drains me of energy that they're really good at. So for me, that lesson in accounting was more powerful than learning all the accounting skills. And that's really the way I've treated being an entrepreneur ever since is I have to be good at two or three things and I delegate everything except genius. I hire people, even if they're outsourced or freelance people. 30 years ago, it was different. Everyone that we hired had to be a full-time employee they pretty much had to come to a company office because there was no Wi-Fi, there was no internet, there was no laptops. So everyone had to come here and they pretty much had to be full-time because no one's going to work for six companies. Now you can hire freelancers and fractional people and you can have a, a researcher in Karachi, Pakistan. You can have a marketer based in Eastern Europe. You can have an executive assistant based in you know, Colombia and they can all be 12 hours a week. So it's almost irresponsible to not start outsourcing parts of your business, even if it's part-time people. Absolutely. So the lots there to unpack too. I'm just going to go with one of the threads. Uh, a lot of us in property management have realized, wow, there's plentiful, abundant, low cost labor, mm -hmm. like the worldwide. And so we're like, yeah, okay, let's hire, you know, remote team professionals. Sure. Let's start leveraging ourselves. If we can't afford a second in command yet, we got to do something to get what you talk about getting the 80% off your plate. Yeah. And so we're trying to tap into this resource. It's readily available. Technology makes it possible. But then we end up having a misfire or we end up thinking, well, I could have just done that easier than the time it took me to explain it. Or, you know, I've noticed I'm not getting consistent output. I'll just take this back. Yeah. So the, the whole radical self-reliance actually slows down your company. If we're the only person who's good enough to do something, it means because we're not good at training and coaching and delegating to others. So I launched a course years ago called Invest in Your Leaders, and it has 12 core modules in the course. One of them is delegation. One of them is project management. One of the modules is coaching. One of the modules is one-on-one -on -one coaching. Those are all the core skills to get stuff off your plate and onto someone else's plate so that you can coach and grow them. So what I like doing is a system that I learned from Dan Sullivan, who owns Strategic Coach. So the idea is called an activity inventory, and it's almost like someone follows you around with a video camera for an entire month. So if someone followed me around with a video camera and they videoed everything I do for 30 days, and then I rewatch the video and I write down everything I do, what I do is I open up a spreadsheet and in column A are all the tasks that I do over the course of a month. I open email, I reply to emails, I show up at meetings, I prep for meetings, I book flights, I book hotels, I coach people, I do speaking events. 
I might have 80 things on my spreadsheet of things that I do over the course of a month. In column B, I categorize all those tasks in one of four ways. Either I for incompetent, meaning I suck at it, C for competent, meaning I'm okay at it, E for excellent, meaning I'm really, really good at it, but I don't love doing it. And then U for unique ability is the stuff I'm really, really good at and I love to do. Like I would do it for free except my kids have to eat, right? In column C, I put an hourly rate down. If someone's job was just to do that, right? Just to clean toilets or just to reply to emails or just to do speaking or just to book flights, what would I pay them 40 hours a week? What would their hourly rate be to do that task all year long? So now I've come up with an hourly rate for those things. Then I decide for each of those tasks, can I stop doing it? Because sometimes we do stuff just out of habit that we don't even need to do anymore. Or can I optimize it? And then can I actually outsource it or delegate it to someone else? What I'm looking at doing is delegating everything that doesn't feed me with energy and that I'm not really, really good at, and that's below my effective hourly rate. So the other thing I like to do, so if I earn a million dollars a year, my effective hourly rate is $500 an hour. That means if I'm doing a $12 an hour task, someone should fire me. Why am I being paid $500 an hour to do $12 an hour work or $20 an hour work or $100 an hour work? So the first is to understand your effective hourly rate and delegate everything below that. Or give yourself a buffer and say, take your effective hourly rate of $500 an hour, cut it by four, call it 125 bucks an hour, at least delegate everything below that. So for me, I look at anything in my business that's below $125 an hour, which is below a $250,000 a year salary. I should not be doing any of it unless I love doing it. So that's podcast interviews, speaking, coaching, and networking. Those are the four things I love to do in my business. Outside of that, I try to delegate all of it. Because those things give you energy. I get energy from it. I'm really, really good at it. And there's other people out there that love doing the stuff that I suck at. There's people out there who love accounting. I don't understand why, <laughs> but they don't like speaking. They, they like, they're like, why would you like speaking? I'm like, cause it's amazing. And they're like, oh my God, I would die if I had to speak. I'm like, so you see what I mean? Yes. There's, there's people out there that love doing copywriting. I'm terrible at copywriting. Like I'm, I'm even bad at using chat GPT for copywriting. <laughs> there's people out there that are so good at that. There's people out there that are great house painters. They love painting houses. I owned a house painting company. I had 220 people painting houses. I'm okay at painting houses, but I don't like it. But I love to hire the people and align them and get out of their way. So when you stay in the activities mm. that Dan Sullivan calls unique ability, yeah. then you're building momentum just by staying in positive energy. And hiring people, even if they're only two hours a week or two hours a month or 40 hours a month, and they're doing their unique ability. So I might have a copywriter who's based in Bulgaria. I might have a researcher who's based in Karachi, Pakistan. I might have a my executive assistant who's been with me for eight years. We now hired her in EA to get all the true minimum wage stuff off her plate. And we have a woman in the Philippines for $1,000 a month, 40 hours a week. That's $6 an hour. She's full-time. We pay her three weeks full-time vacation, which is more than anybody in the Philippines gets, blows her mind. And she takes all the real admin off my EA to free up my EA to work on the higher impact operational things for me. Okay, I can read some thoughts of people watching this and they're saying, yeah, but Cameron, the f you lost me at writing down ex uh, tasks in an Excel spreadsheet. You, you, you lost me at like some of that detailed stuff that's required to create the system where somebody else can offload for me. Like, mm -hmm. like what do you, what do you say to the visionary that's just like starts getting bogged down, just even thinking about that type of work? 
do it anyway? Or like, is there a who that can help you structure your life? At a certain point, you have to start somewhere. Exactly. Yeah, most most often, I mean, pretty much anybody who's watching us right now or listening to us right now, I'm pretty sure you have someone to clean your home on a weekly basis or every two week basis. Most of us stopped cleaning toilets. That was one of the first things we stopped doing. Or we hire someone to cut our lawn or someone to clean our pool. So we get rid of these minimum wage jobs to those people and we find people who know how to do it already. The key for us is to, to find one or two projects at a time and find the people. So go on Upwork, go on Fiverr, find an executive assistant who can help you network, ask on social media. You have to get good at interviewing and hiring, but you really shouldn't be running your own business unless you're going to be dedicated to learning those things. So, you know, that's another reason my, my Invest in Your Leaders course is an interviewing module. It teaches you how to find people, how to select people. Most of us as entrepreneurs have never been trained on how to be an entrepreneur. We quit our job because we didn't like what we were doing. And now we end up running this business. You need to start learning the business skills as well. You need to start dedicating yourself to that. And it's not so much the business of property management. It's the business of being in business. It's the business of running meetings, hiring people, delegating projects, coaching people, inspiring people. Like You have to learn to be a leader. And that's what people really need to plug into. You also talk about how as a leader, one of the things that we have to learn is to gain enough self-awareness about what we suck at mm -hmm. and actually be honest with ourselves. Like, like what's that journey like? And, and also tell us about that's connected to this other idea of the yin and the yang between the uh, entrepreneur and, the, and their second in command. Yeah. So the school system messed us up. We grew up in an era where going to school, we were told we had to be the smartest person in the room or we weren't worthy. Right. Um, and e even the A students, like my wife was a 4.2 GPA. I didn't even know you could get anything above a four. I had no idea you could get more than a 4.0. I had no idea. And she was a 4.2 GPA, but she still struggled. If she got a B minus on something, it really emotionally beat her up. I was so dumb in class that I got used to being very average. But I also found there were a couple of things I was really, really good at. So I've been now paid to do speaking events by groups in 28 countries. I've been paid to speak in every single continent, including getting paid to speak in Antarctica. I was handed a check in Antarctica to speak. But I won a citywide speaking competition when I was in grade two. It was a unique ability for me at a very young age. I was recording radio ads for local businesses when I was in grade four. So I've always been good at recording, at speaking, at kind of shooting from the hip. But right, I knew that that was a unique ability early. My math skills were very unique abilities. I could could run numbers in my head very quickly, but I was really bad at a lot of other stuff. Spreadsheets. Yeah, <laughs> the details of spreadsheets <laughs> I was bad with, right? But what I realized was because I got okay with being bad at something, in the school system, they say, if you're bad at something, go get a tutor. Right. Now you become horribly right. average and frustrated on something. You'll never be good at it. So what, what I got good at was saying, I'm never going to be good at that. I'm going to hire somebody to do my accounting. I'm going to hire somebody to do this. I'm just going to 5-0 and go. Just let me get out of here. I became okay with the fact that momentum created momentum and I didn't have to be perfect at everything. But if you still feel like you need to be perfect at everything, you'll probably never be successful. There's not a single entrepreneur on the planet who hasn't hired other people to do things that are stronger than them. So you're saying that we can look back over our history, even starting in grade school, 
and see glimpses or clues of what our unique abilities are yeah You've manifested already throughout our lives and you know like if you look at your business you know that there's areas you're strong in often the things that that we're really really strong in our unique ability we dismiss as but anyone can do that yes right this comes so naturally right so i think that that being interviewed on a podcast is so simple or being interviewed by the media is so simple or networking is so simple or speaking on a stage is so simple it is simple for me but then I realized for everybody else, it's really, really hard. That's how you start to know what's your unique ability is because it's unique to you. That's fascinating. Right? And there's other people that have, oh, they're really good at marketing. And they're like, why isn't everybody good at copywriting? I don't know, because I haven't spent 10,000 hours practicing it like you have, or I don't see it the same way you do, right? Interesting. So we don't need to spend our time beating ourselves up thinking, I need to work on all my weaknesses. Yeah. It's like, have the awareness of what my unique ability is, go all in on that. And then how does that help us hire the well, second in command? Think about a professional athlete. Let's think about a football team, right? If you're the kicker on a football team, actually there's two kickers on the football team. There's the punter and then there's the field goal kicker. And they probably suck at the other part of kicking. The punter doesn't have the same way to kick a ball, right? And the quarterback, even though we might be the best quarterback in the world, probably sucks as a punter, right? Yeah. Or the left tackle could be the best. So they know what they're really good at in their industry, but they're really bad at other things in their industry. They're okay with that. They're not trying to, the kicker is not trying to be a good defensive lineman and a good quarterback. He just lets those people do that. That's the way we need to think and approach that in business. And then talk, talk to us about that yin and yang. And I know you have this fantastic example of 1-800-GOT-JUNK, uh, which I'd love you to, to tell us about. What After we have that self-awareness and we've decided we've committed to stay in our unique ability, how does that inform how we hire that second in command? Sure. When Let's say you're looking to hire your first key person to come in and help you scale your company, and they're going to be your second in command, whatever you're going to call them, maybe a director of operations or a vice president of operations or a COO, that title is based on their roles and responsibilities, the amount of autonomy that they'll have, the amount of P&L responsibility that you'll give them, and the amount of strategic insight they can bring. So don't give out a big title to somebody right away. You're looking for a person to be your yin and yang, the person to take all the stuff off your plate that drain you of energy. So it's first by understanding what drains me of energy, what am I not good at, and how do I find somebody who's good at the stuff that I'm not and who loves to do the stuff that I don't? You'll then craft a job description around those roles and responsibilities. I also like to make it very polarizing. When I write my job description, I write me. I'm a very manic, ADD, slightly, probably very bipolar, you know, CEO who swears a little bit too much. I might even drop an F-bomb into my job posting. And I, I've done that in the past where people are like, I can't believe you swore, delete. I don't <laughs> like that I swear, but I swear once in a while. So if you're really against the fact that I swear once in a while, you probably don't want to work with me, right? Or if you need somebody who's so professional and polished, probably not me. I go to Burning Man. I'm, I'm this Canadian kid. you know. So, so if I describe me, there's someone out there who's going to read this and go, wow, you sound kind of like the kind of person I like to hang with. And you sound like the crazy individual that I can help play cleanup for. And all the stuff that you described, I'm really good at it and I love doing it. And I don't want to do the stuff you're good at because I don't like networking and I don't like speaking. So they, they're like, I don't even want to do what you do. That's how you know you've got that kind of magic. Right. And it exists. Totally. That was the, I, when I'm reading your books, I'm thinking like, oh my gosh, I've found pieces of this. And the fact that this exists and this is a, this is a thing. Give me so much. I got so excited because if you can, there, 
And you even admit this. You said that of the companies, of the successful companies out there, and you get approached all the time to be so COO of companies, and you admit that 95% of them, you wouldn't be great I'd at. be horrible. Yeah. Tell us why. So I was the, the chief operating officer for 1-800-GOT-JUMP. I, I joined as employee number 14. When I left six and a half years later, we had 3,100 employees system-wide. We went from 2 million to 106 million in revenue from 12 cities to 330 cities. So I was very good as a chief operating officer of that company with that particular CEO at the stage of growth that company was in, right? Which was entrepreneurial to scale. Their new COO, Eric Church, has been their COO for 12 years. So when I left the company at 106 million, two years later, it was doing 70 with the global financial crisis, a COO who's the wrong person, Ryan fired her after a year. Eric then came in to start running the operation. He took it from 70 million to 450 million. Eric is working with the same CEO for the same company. He would have been a horrible COO for the first six and a half years because he's a more corporate person. Eric and I have known each other since 1987. We started a fraternity together in Ottawa, Canada. I was president year one. He was president year two. He would have been a horrible president in year one because he wasn't that entrepreneurial, figure it out, start it up. But once we built it and got it to scale in that first year, he was amazing at scaling Holy it up. Cow, are you kidding me? You guys followed each other? Yeah, yeah. Back in 87. Well, there's, if there's, there's not like there's, there's some reasons why we found each other, right? Yeah. Like when Brian was looking for my replacement that second time, he was interviewing somebody and I mentioned Eric and a couple other people had mentioned Eric. And, and because Brian knew me and knew Eric's past, it was at least get him in for an interview. You said that he, that Brian was so good, and I want to kind of segue into Vivid Vision here. Mm -hmm. He was so good at describing his need mm -hmm. and being clear about that that multiple people mentioned Eric. Eric. Yeah, yeah. So, so we actually they they first actually mentioned um, Eric because Brian pushed out the job description to his network, and I'm trying to remember Jeff's last name. He was the CEO of. Um, Oh, shoot. What's monster.com? Mm -hmm. uh, and the CEO of Monster, Eric was working or had worked with him. He saw it and mentioned Eric. I saw the job posting and knew Eric was kind of frustrated with the business he was running and said, mentioned Eric. And then someone else in the YPO world had mentioned Eric. So, yeah, it was just when, when all things kind of pointed to that same person. Now, again, Eric would have been horrible in the first six years because he was the wrong style and the wrong skill set for a very different season of the company. So, and then likewise, just because I was so good at wanting Tundra got junk in an entrepreneurial stage, I would have been horrible for most entrepreneurial companies because I didn't match the CEO or because they needed me to run. Like I'd say 30% of our CEO Alliance members run finance and IT. I suck at finance and IT. So if it was an entrepreneurial company that even Brian was running, but he wanted me to oversee IT and finance, I would have been horrible. But because the roles and responsibilities matched me, the size of the company matched me, the time, the time of the company. CEO. And then the first, and Brian was my best man at my wedding three months before I started working with him. So we were already best friends. So we knew each other. We liked each other. He'd watched me build two other companies. We had a bit of an unfair advantage there. And I'd done it twice before. I'd already built two other franchise companies. So that's hiring the right person, describing the company the right way. And when I saw the vision Brian had for what he wanted to build, I pretty much said, move out of the way. Let me do this. I know I know how to That's do what beautiful needs to be thing. done. Those are the those are the most golden words that a visionary wants to hear. I'll tell you one of the other words that, that an entrepreneur wants to hear is you're messing this up. 
you're doing it wrong. Yeah. You're screwing up. You're making a mistake because no one tells the entrepreneur that there's an art to the COO being able to tell the entrepreneur they're making a mistake. We have to do it privately. You have to do it one-on-one. -on -one. You never do it in front of the board. You never do it in front of the leadership team. You never do it in front of customers or other employees. And you make sure that you kind of cloak it by saying, I'm telling you this because I love you and I care about you. And I believe it's for the good of the company. You don't call him a dumbass. No. And I'm even putting my, you're doing something wrong. You're, you're acting like a dumbass, right? But, but I'm telling you this because I care about you and your company. Of course. And I might even be putting my job at risk by telling you this. By me framing it that way, I've actually solidified my job because the CEO finally knows someone is willing to tell me the truth. It's like the emperor's new suit. Love it. It's like you are actually naked. You're not wearing a beautiful magic suit that, you know. Cameron is an absolute expert, not only at the COO role that he's had, but also in coaching COOs. And that's why you you pointed out there's all of these support groups for CEOs. Mm -hmm. There's all these networks. There's all this coaching. Everything's focused around the CEO. But there had been no community for COOs and you right. started that. Tell yeah. us why. Well, because there was nowhere for them. So it's almost like if a bunch of guys got together or let's let's say a bunch of women were getting together for a baby shower. Guys don't really fit the baby shower. In, like even in the modern day where we're trying to be the sensitive guy and we're trying to be like there with family, like we still don't fit at a baby shower. We know we don't fit. It. They know we don't fit at a baby shower. We just need to go do a bunch of stuff with guys. They need to do a bunch of stuff with women. Men are not hairy versions of women. We see the world differently, perceive the di world differently. Well, entrepreneurs see and perceive businesses differently from their second in command. We actually profiled all of our COO Alliance members using a few different executive profiles. One was the Colby profile, which talks about how you start and initiate projects. Almost every single COO has the same personality profile and all of their CEOs had a very different profile. They were very entrepreneurial. So by understanding that we're different, we needed to give them a space to think and be and work with each other the way that each other think and be and not get distracted with all these entrepreneurs who are usually a little bit louder, a little bit faster, a little bit more high level. A little ADD, right? And they think it's funny, right? And it is funny, but it makes, like the ADD of the entrepreneur is a superpower. It's not a disease. It allows you to see the customer, the supplier, the market, the economy, your metrics, the numbers, read the pulse of what's happening with your employees, oversee all the projects. We can sort stuff quickly in our mind because we can see yeah. what's important when. The COO needs to be much more methodical, much more focused, grounded. put the systems in place, much more grounded. They need to be the brake to our gas. Love it. They need to be the leash to our dragon. And that's where that real symbiotic, why the, the cover of my book is that the yin and yang, yeah, right? They need to be that yin and yang relationship with us. Okay. I want to get into vivid vision because sure. I think this is super powerful. So um, we, we've we all heard for years about uh, mission statement and vision statement. These little pithy three, two yeah. or three sentence things, yeah. they fall way short. Totally. Why? So, well, the mission statement originally came about from getting a leadership team back in the 70s and 80s together. You'd get your six or seven members of your leadership team together. You'd all put all your favorite words that describe your company up on a whiteboard. You'd all vote on your favorite words. You'd be left with six or seven words. You'd mash them up into one sentence and that became your mission statement, right? Go team. Mm -hmm. Nobody bought into it. Nobody really, it, it didn't really resonate with us. It sounded too, we all felt like it was crap when we put it together. Check the box, we did. Right, check the box. But it also doesn't explain our company. 
the one sentence mission statement doesn't explain your relationship with your customers, doesn't explain your relationship with your employees, doesn't explain your company culture or your office space, doesn't explain your meetings, your meeting rhythms, doesn't talk about uh, the way you make decisions, the way you hire, the way that you build teams and consensus, the way that you manage conflict. It doesn't describe marketing and sales and operations and IT. The vivid vision is a four or five page description of what your company looks like, acts like, and feels like three years in the future. Looks like, acts like, and feels like. Yeah. So it's almost like if I walked around your office space and described what it felt like, if I described the energy walking in, if I described the feeling of the rooms, if I described the, the way that people are interacting with each other, that can't be written in a one sentence mission statement. So it's just a different tool. I think this is really powerful because sometimes as an entrepreneur, as a business owner, I, I know it doesn't make sense, but I, I just assume people can read my mind. Like, isn't it obvious hmm. that this, the vision of where we're going seems clear to me? Don't you guys get it? Like, but have I spent the time and the energy and the work? I, I saw this as an analogy years ago when I was describing a movie to someone. And I was describing a scene in the movie, The Sound of Music, Yeah, Julie Andrews, yeah. right? If you've seen the movie, The yeah. Sound of Music, there's one very famous scene in the movie where Julie Andrews is up in the hills in Austria. The kids are there, they're singing and dancing. They're having a picnic lunch and, and it's the hills are alive with the sound of music, right? And they're dancing. It's a very, very, very famous scene. And if you've seen the movie, if I said, do you recreate the picnic scene? You could do it. In your mind, yes. But if you've never seen the movie, and I said, recreate the picnic scene from The Sound of Music, you might have the picnic at a lake or at a park. You might have, you know, yeah. the lunch was catered instead of in a picnic basket. And the kids are playing baseball. That would be a great picnic. Yeah. But that's not the picnic scene from The Sound of Music. They're in Austria. They're not playing baseball. They're, they're dancing. And they're in the mountains of Austria. They're not at a park or at a lake. So you could try your best to create a picnic scene, but if you've never seen the movie, you can't do it. The power of the vivid vision is everyone can finally see what the entrepreneur can see. We also write them for our marriages. Like my wife and I wrote a vivid vision for our life together as a couple. I wrote my version of our relationships, our friendships, our fitness, our finances, our spirituality, our use of substances, what we do for fun, our vacation time, our our growth, like mental growth, how we connect with each other. And it's a four page description. And she did the same. And then we merged all those points together. The reason couples grow apart is they're not intentional about growing together. So we have a very intentional document describing our relationship together. And we reread it constantly. We share it with the world. And we're constantly trying to make each sentence come true. That's really powerful. You say that even after you have this really vivid vision and you've really, you've gotten clear yourself and you've gotten it written down that it's like a three-year picture yeah. usually, and then you reverse engineer yeah. what you need to be doing today. Yeah. Almost like if we were building a home. So if I was going to build a dream home, I would describe in vivid detail what I wanted my home to look like. I would describe each of the rooms. I would describe the finishing. I would describe the kitchens, the bathrooms, the flooring, the paint colors, what the windows would look like. I would describe how we entertain and hang out with family, what our family unit is like so that the contractor could help me create the plans to make my vision come true. I wouldn't just hand 2 million bucks to a contractor and say, build me my dream home because he might build me an amazing home that looks nothing like what I want. So the contractor needs to understand what I want in a home, what it looks like, how we use it, everything I can explain to him, the vivid vision of a home, he can then create the blueprints and the elevation drawings and the sketches to make my vision come true. 
I sign off on his plans. He signs off on my vision. We hand that to the employees. The employees can build my home without ever speaking to me. That's the power of the vivid vision. The reason we're constantly have to organize our employees and hold them accountable is they're not all aligned with our vision. We're hiring the wrong people who aren't aligned with vision. We're hiring people that don't have the skills to make our vision come true. And then we're having to manage them account. You know, we're just doing it wrong. Cracking them. It's like, so you, yeah. So you talk about the, the clarity of the vision and the communication of the vision in and of itself enrolls and enables and empowers people yeah. to make it come to pass. Listen, yeah. You're not driving them. They're enrolling because it connects with them. It's right. And they're purpose. excited about it. You know, we talk about the three guys making bricks. This is 125 years ago. Have you heard me tell the story? Yeah, I love it. Go so ahead. three guys are over in Barcelona 125 years ago. They're sitting on a sidewalk in the dirt. And they're making bricks. And you ask the first guy, what are you doing? He said, I'm making bricks. They asked the second guy, what are you doing? He said, we're building a wall and I get to make the bricks to build the wall. A lot more purpose than that. They asked the third guy, what are you doing? He said, we're building a cathedral to worship God. It will be called the Sagrada Familia. It's going to be the most incredible cathedral in the world. And I get to build the bricks to make the left wall of the cathedral. Who do you think is more excited about making bricks? The person who has this vivid, and the Sagrada Familia, if you've never been, go put it on your bucket list, go see it. It's incredible, unbelievable cathedral that they've been still building for 125 years. But because people have purpose of what they're building and they're excited about the vision of what they're building, they find meaning every single day. That's why you need a vivid vision for your company is it aligns people, it inspires people. It also has people say, you know what, that sounds like something I don't want to be a part of. Great, go work for some- like Find the, out right now. Yeah, the government's always hiring, go work for the government. But it, like I make sure that in my businesses, people know it's going to be high pressure, it's going to be high stress, we're going to be working hard, we're going to change our minds on a dime, we're going to be entrepreneurial, we're going to be obsessed about employee engagement first and customer second. People are like, oh my gosh, I want to do that. I want to be there. I'm like, this will be the hardest thing you'll ever do. They're like, great. Because A players want to work on challenging things. C players don't want hard work, so they don't even apply. So my vivid vision allows me to screen people out before I even get their resume. Then what I do when I get a resume, I say, hey, thanks for your resume. I'm not going to read it. Please read my vivid vision. Send me a two to three minute video of how you can help make this come true and what parts of my vivid vision you're most excited about. Oh, if I love your video, then I'll read your resume. Wow. So now I take a hundred resumes. I get 10 videos. If I like five of the videos, I only read five resumes. I don't bother with the other 95 and the five resumes I've got, they're all vibrating like I'm vibrating because they've read my vivid vision. Holy cow. That's amazing. Super powerful. That's how we built college pro painters. That's how we built 1-800-GOT chunks, how we built you know, all these companies I've worked with all over the world. So I'm going to take it back to like getting 80% off your plate. Like, yeah. like I think for a lot of us as small business owners, we're caught up in this idea that, yeah, I know I shouldn't be doing X, but I don't have the money to hire somebody right now. Or I don't have, you know, like roadblock, roadblock. They're like, I don't have the time to like to figure out how to like make this perfect like set of instructions for somebody else. Or I don't have the actual cash to hire somebody earlier you talked about yeah. if you don't if you can't afford a ceo you can't afford a second commit like 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 how do you start how do you start building momentum on these things so you're not going to like some of my comment around this but if you can't figure out how to do it and you don't have the money to do it you have no business being an entrepreneur you need to actually flip that script a little bit and decide that you're going to figure out how or you're going to learn from somebody who has figured out how like it's all on youtube already right 
for 750 bucks, you can buy my leadership course. I did. Learn, it's awesome. Right. The 12 modules are really powerful. Yeah, they are. But then watch them every three months, like really get it so that you and get all your employees to go through it. So they really get it. It's not a lot of money. Find a couple parts of your business that you can just say, you know what? We're not going to do that anymore. Like for most of us, we waste a lot of time as well, right? It's working on the critical few things versus the important many things. It's like stop wasting time scrolling on social media or watching like the rest of the stuff on TV that you're watching. Focus in on the critical few things that are going to help you scale and then delegate slowly one thing at a time. You can also learn how to use Upwork. If you don't know how to use Upwork, go on YouTube and watch some videos of how to watch Upwork or go on Upwork and watch some of their videos of how to use it. Go check a look at fiverr.com where you can outsource fractional tasks. Um, but And if you wake up every day saying, I don't have to know how to do this. I have to find the who, who can help me do it, right? Ben Hardy and Dan Sullivan, Dan Sullivan. good friends of mine. Yeah. Their book, Who Not How. Beautiful that's, that's a really powerful concept is we no longer have to know how to do everything. We have to find the right who's who can who already know how to do these things. I know that you know Vern Harnish. Yeah. I know that you've uh, been involved in uh, entrepreneur organization. One of my favorite quotes from Vern Harnish's book, Scaling Up, is, well, what he talks about, it's not an accident that, that companies are successful. The best companies have the best routines. Yeah. Can you give us... You know, that... So on that, the number one book for everybody who's watching us right now of mine, I've written six books. I would say the number one book you should all read is The Miracle Morning for Entrepreneurs. I co-authored that with Hal Elrod. It's a fantastic bestseller. You'll get all the morning routine habits of The Miracle Morning. So it's called The Miracle Morning for Entrepreneurs. That's the version you want. It has all the good morning routine habits, but then it has the habits for the rest of the day that I wrote. It has all the principles around focus and getting more done with less people faster. And it has a chapter on vivid vision. So I would start with that. Then I would read the book Double Double but I would read chapters one, two, four, six, and 12. Double Double is so dense. It's got like all this entrepreneur organization, all the, like all these nuggets just all throughout it. It's 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 such a good And it's also not a novel. You don't have to read it from right. front to back, right? Read chapters one, two, four, six, and 12. Okay. Those five chapters will supercharge anybody who's watching right now because it talks about people, it talks about culture, it talks about alignment with vision, it gives you stuff around recruiting. It also, chapter 12 is the highs and lows of entrepreneurs. It's like the emotional roller coaster we go through. And it talks about how to ride that. You are really big about community. And I feel like if somebody's stuck, you're like I was, you know, in my story that we started with, I was an island. I wasn't connecting with people. I wasn't bringing new knowledge yeah. and information into my life because I thought like, well, I got to figure this out first. I got to get profitable and then I'll go connect with people. And I had it backwards. And I also thought I got to get more customers so that I have the money to afford better people. I also had that backwards. Mm-hmm. I needed to build capacity. I needed to build knowledge now. So one of the ways that we can build knowledge, your community can be online. So you can find Facebook groups that are online that are free. You can join mastermind communities. You can join a local BNI group that is super cheap to join. And it's like probably $200 and they love a year. property managers because we get a lot of referrals. Oh, do they? Yeah. <laughs> like BNI groups are great yeah. because you're surrounded with other smaller, younger entrepreneurs that are all there trying to help each other. But then you can also get on to, to YouTube channels. Like there's so much information that is available online right now for free that you can devour that content. Like if you watched one of my YouTube videos, if you go on the Cameron Herald YouTube, it's free. There's hundreds of videos on there. If you just watch one of those videos a day for the next year, you'll triple the size of your company like that. And you don't spend a penny. But stop spending time scrolling news feeds or reading the newspaper or watching all the sports that we watch or all the crap that we watch on TV 
dedicate like a half hour or even 15 minutes a day to learning. And, and there's a lot of information out there. That's really how important is that? How important is the dedicated, like big rocks put in the jar first? Like how important is, is making sure, like if you had to rank the routines, Miracle Morning, I haven't read that one yet. I'm going to go and get it. What, what are what are the top three? Like if you're a small entrepreneur, you know, do these two or three things every day or every week. Taking care of your health, right? So fitness, diet, sleep, mindset, like taking care of your health is is. But first and foremost, I mean, I'll show you a photo that people will laugh if they can see this, but you're going <laughs> to, you're really going to laugh when you see this photo. <laughs> so really taking care of your health. I mean, if I go back and think of my health, this is a photo of me. Whoa. Yeah. I'm 40. You can't see this. I mean, if you can zoom in. There's maybe, more Cameron here. I'm 42 pounds heavier back here. I was not healthy. That was 12 years ago. But now I'm, I'm definitely taking care of my diet. I'm definitely going to the gym. I'm walking constantly. I camelback mount all the time. Yeah. I quit drinking six and a half months ago. I haven't had a drink in six wow. and a half months. Like I just decided to just have a much more intentional, my wife is healthy. So taking care of yourself, taking care of your mindset. That's number one, surrounding yourself with positive driven people, right? There's that old adage that you're the average of the five people you spend the most time with. Yeah. Your income is the average of the five people. Your really? health is the average. Your mindset is the average. Like if you spend time with a bunch of people that smoke and drink, you're not out trail running. You probably spend time with a lot of trail runners. Oh, dude, greatest people. Right? And they're probably healthy. They're not eating crap. They probably don't drink very much, nope. but if at all. Um, so, and, and they're probably successful in their life in some way because on their, or even if they're not like successful in making money, they're at least because their endorphins are going and they're taking care of their health, they at least have a positive mindset, 100%. right? So fire the negative people in your life. Don't spend time with the negative grumpy people. Even on this call, there's going to be negative grumpy people on this in this group. Don't spend time with them. Fire those people from your life. Spend time with the people that are driven, that are focused, that are growing, that are enthusiastic. It's osmosis. You just yeah, you just you absorb that for sure. Health, health, mindset, your emotional. Mind, yeah, and then and then the, the network, your community would be number two. And then I think number three would just be the ability to say no and to focus, right? It's about focusing on the critical few things. So I'll give you a, what, what I call the secret formula to building 1-800-GOT-JUNK. It was F times F times E equals success. So write this down. F times F times E equals success. The first F was focused. And I want you to give yourself a rating. You can do this for yourself or for your business right now. Anybody who's watching can do this as well. On a scale of one to a hundred percent, how focused were you in the last quarter, in the last month, in the last week? How focused were you on the plan, on your budget, on your goals, on working on the critical few things? Let's say that you were 50% focused and 50% of the time you were all over the place. And then the next one is faith. So it's focus times faith. And it's not faith in God, it's faith in yourself. How much faith do you have in yourself, in your plan, in your team, in your confidence? Are you protecting your own confidence? Are you spending time with people that are building you up? Are you working on your skills? Are you learning, which protects your faith in yourself? Are you kind of showing up as that strong, rugged individualist who, who knows you can do it in spite of everybody saying no or how hard it is? So that's the faith. Give yourself a percentage score on faith. Maybe you're 50% on faith. And then E is for effort. So it's focus times faith times effort equals success. So how much effort are you really putting in? Like, are you really working hard or are you hardly working when you're working? Because it doesn't have to be a five in the morning till 9 p.m. job. This can still be four hours a day, but you really are working hard on those four hours a day. Like, are you maniacal around your effort? Are you really giving it your all? Are you really making sure your employees are giving it your all? Well, let's say you're 50% on effort. 
Well, 50%, 0.5 times 0.5 times 0.5 is a 12.5% chance of success. That's an 88% odd that you're going bankrupt, right? You may as well shut it down. Even if your formula is 80% focus times 80% faith times 80% effort, that multiplies out to 51.2%. That's 50-50. Yeah, but that's still, that's still not 50% great. chance you're going okay. bankrupt. You might as well go to the closest casino, put all of your money on black oh or red, because that's the odds you've got. If you can get to 90% focus times 90% faith times 90% effort, that's only a 72.8% chance of success. 0.9 times 0.9 times 0.9 is 72.8%. You still have a 25% chance of going bankrupt. I don't like those. The reason we were successful, I don't like those odds at all. The reason we were successful at 1-800-GOT-JUNK is we were maniacal around 98% focus times 98% faith times 98% effort, which gave us a 96% chance of success. That's why we were successful. So it's about working on the critical few things, spending time with the right people, staying hyper-focused, the ability to say no, really working hard. Like It took a long time to get to the night before we became the overnight success story, yeah. right? But that was the formula that we used. So to me, when you, this is brilliant. Thank you for sharing this. The focus, the faith, and the effort, I, to me, that all connects back to staying in my unique ability, saying no to a lot of things. And getting your employees Feeling to stay in their unique ability, right? Protecting your employees' confidence, growing their confidence. Like so many entrepreneurs delegate more tasks, delegate more projects, show people the areas to improve on. But we don't praise them and say thank you and show gratitude and celebrate all the stuff we Chief got done. Energizer, yeah, energizing office. So if I give somebody three projects to do next month, I'm going to celebrate and praise three things they just got done. If I say, "Hey, we need to do better at this," I'm going to say, "But we're doing amazing at that." Not necessarily in the same sentence, but I'm trying to praise people and show gratitude and show thanks twice as often as I'm showing areas to improve. The same way that we work with our kids. Right? You can't constantly spank your kids and show them where they're screwing up and get mad at them for doing the wrong things. You need to also be hugging them and showing them you love them and praising them and building your kids' confidence to try more and do more. But we need to show up thinking that way as entrepreneurs. We often don't. It's beautiful. We've got like 90 seconds left. Andrew. Let me give you my one big thing on the 90 seconds. Thank you. Yes. None of this matters. What? Nothing that we've actually talked about today matters. We're all just walking each other home. None of us are getting out of this alive. This is just what we do to make money. You're going to make me cry. What matters is the relationships we have with our spouse and our kids and ourselves and our employees. What matters is remembering that every single person we meet up with on a day-to-day -day basis is struggling with something. Every human that works for you or that you interact with, whether it's a customer or a tenant or a supplier or a contractor, are struggling with a relationship or money or health or something. And if we care more about the people, they'll care more about our business. Wow. I think we got to end it there. That, that's beautiful. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Sincerely, thank you for being Welcome. here. Thank you. Awesome. Hey, everybody. Uh, first off, Mark, Cameron, thank you. That was uh, a pleasure to uh, to sit back and participate in. Hey, would love to hear actually a, a couple folks, you know, who are listening in. If, if We'll bring people up to the Zoom stage here. And here's a question we'll invite you to answer. Um, as you're looking at your notes, whether they're in the Zoom chat or on a piece of paper or on your computer at home, you know, picking out one or two ideas that you heard shared today or uh, one or two action steps, something that you're thinking about implementing from what you just heard today uh, that were of meaningful value. What, what were one or two of the greatest gifts that Mark and Cameron's uh, conversation offered you today? And we want, we want to invite that back and actually kind of having that reflection, sharing that out again with the, the rest of the audience here. 
And Lauren Max, so good. She's asking, raise your Zoom hands if you would. That way, it's easy for us to to find you and and pull you up. I- I'm actually going to get kicked off just to buy people a moment to do that. Um, Cameron, I love what you shared about the activity inventory and the framework you gave for that, and applying the value of your time and figuring out uh, how do we get into that unique and unique ability and and help put other things into into other people's unique ability and build build a great team. That was really really great. Thank you. I see I people do that, uh, I do that with my executive assistant and each of my members of my team. I help them do their activity inventory every six months so we can help get stuff off their plate and onto other people's plates too, right? It's always about, like, we always have to grow our skills, but we have to grow the skills of our people too. Love that. Love that. Angela Bailey, I see your Zoom hand raised. We'll pull you up here. Greatest gift that Mark and Cameron gave you today. Hi. Wow. That was amazing. So I actually have the book, um, the morning for entrepreneurs, whatever, Miracle Morning for Entrepreneurs. And I haven't read it yet. So that's exciting. So I think the biggest thing that I got out of is I was making some kind of jokes in the in the chat because you were saying some great things that I thought were really funny. Um, but I loved the part where you came in about uh, none of it matters. None of this matters because we're none of us are getting out of this alive. What's really the most important is the relationships you have with people, um, mm-hmm. whether that's your spouse, your um, employees, your family, your kids, your clients, your tenants. Um, and if you care about people, they'll care about you and your business more. And that's something that my company has um, mm-hmm. really tried to do. And has it's worked well for us as a company and mm-hmm. is why why we've had the success that we've had over the last few years. So thank All you right. so much. <laughs> You're welcome. I, I think it's important as well for everybody who's running a company to remember that the customer is not number one. The customer is number two. Your employees are number one. And the reason for this is if we obsess about making sure our employees are happy, if we obsess about helping our employees at every single way, our employees are going to be so happy and so engaged, they're going to go through brick walls to help our customers. But if our employees feel like the customer is number one, the employees are going to feel underworked or underappreciated and overworked and stressed and unloved. And they'll be like, why do we care so much about the customer? What about me? So that's why I always obsess about the employees first. And by default, my customers end up getting wowed. Yeah. That, yeah, that's a point of insight you don't, you don't always hear often. That's great. Um, I do a lot of this in my, I do a group coaching call with CEOs and COOs all the time. And I'm always around this like employee engagement, employee engagement stuff. And that's why it's really powerful. How do we qualify to get on that? Anybody can join it. Oh, really? Yeah. yeah. I've got CEOs from all over the world that are members. Yeah. Awesome. I do a monthly, I do a monthly group coaching call with CEOs and entrepreneurs from all over. And I have a, a three month, six month and 12 month options for it as well. Very cool. Hey, uh, we've got some more in the chat. I'm just going to read them off here, but we had, we had the, uh, focus, uh, effort, and oh gosh, what's this middle F for? Faith. That's right. Focus, faith, and effort, um, you know, formula here, which was, which was a great share. Um, got a lot of people reflecting, reflecting back what they were just hearing, which is really great. Hey, um, we're coming up on our, our time for a break here, but I just want to invite folks, any other words of appreciation they'd love to throw in the chat. We'll make sure that makes its way back to, to Cameron and Mark. And just want to say thank, thanks to both of you again giving of your time and and uh your energy and and wisdom here for this conversation to to really help elevate a lot of people who are uh looking to improve their businesses and and have a real impact so just want to say thank you guys again much appreciated and share these ideas on social media right take some of my sound bites and clips and share them like just i i i see so many entrepreneurs like flies trying to get out the window they're going to keep trying hard but they end up dead on the windowsill right there is a shortcut these these systems can help everybody so 
don't don't hoard them. And that wraps up another episode of the Triple Win Property Management Podcast. Thank you for pressing play. We hope you've gained valuable insights and inspiration. The Triple Win Property Management Podcast is proudly produced and distributed by Second Nature, where we believe in a triple win, building winning experiences for your residents, investors, and your teams with the only fully managed resident benefits package. Visit secondnature.com to learn more and talk to an RBP expert in your area. If you have any questions, comments, or want to weigh in on the conversation, we'd love to hear from you. Email triplewin at secondnature.com. That's triplewin at secondnature.com. Stay connected with us beyond the podcast. Visit our website at secondnature.com to stay updated with upcoming property management events and articles. And don't forget, you can keep the conversation going in the Triple Win Property Management Facebook group. It's exclusively for property managers. To receive even more valuable insights and updates, subscribe to our newsletter. You can find the link to that and much more in the show notes. On behalf of the Triple Win community, this is Laura Mack thanking you for tuning in. And on behalf of Second Nature, this is Carol Housel. Check back soon for another exciting episode. Until then, keep striving for that triple win.